This is MJ. I'm an author, I'm an artist, I'm an analyzer. Find all my work at mjmunoz.com. Welcome to Going Ultra. This episode is called Ultra Grit, and I am talking about, analyzing, discussing, reviewing Ultraman Z Episode 5. So I'm watching this dub and I'm having a lot of fun with it. So, I'm going to be talking about ancient secrets, current secrets, amazing action, as well as other topics, which you will hear shortly. So, I'm going to jump right into it without further delay, because this show was so great. <laughs> I'm going to talk about Marvelous Miniatures and that poor car. So, the episode opens up with a shot of Alaska. You can't see my square scare quotes on that, but Alaska. And... In Alaska, there's a you know giant sheet of ice like Alaska has all the time. Of course, it, it actually feels more like the Arctic than Alaska, but I've also never been to Alaska and seen its wondrous sights. So, you know, it's probably mostly accurate. Anyway, uh, there's a giant fissure in the ice and it cracks open and something crazy happens uh, when uh, displacing and destroying, sadly, a uh, little ice trundle. I don't know what it's actually called, but it's a vehicle, like a large, heavy vehicle that's meant to use its treads to go over snow over long distances uh i believe i've only ever seen one in well not in real life but one uh i have an actual one displayed on film before and that was in the x-files movie uh which had the subtitle of fight the future which was fabulous anyway uh this one looked a little faker and like a little less well detailed uh like i don't think there were transparent windows we couldn't see anybody piloting it which is fine uh they could have even just iced over the windows and had them appear as if they were translucent you know, it, like a window is, but they didn't. But still, I think the effect looked really good. Uh, it was a, a short-lived effect. It was on screen for five seconds tops. I think it was closer to two, though. And it looked really good. And uh, that was just one of many amazing things that was done with miniatures. We had the bikes crashing and tumbling over and one bell ringing on a bike when Zet uh, plowed into the, or, you know, got knocked back to the earth while fighting Pegula. And that was really exciting to see. Uh, and we have more. The, the car that gets flipped over and you see inside of it a perspective shot from the back seat, the mid seat, the center console, I don't know. Uh, and there's all these things that are flying in the car, around in the car, as it's getting flipped over from Pegula's ice blast, which I guess has air in it that displaces the stuff. Uh, you know, whatever is in its way, whatever matter is in its way. And uh, then finally the car gets crushed by Pegula's foot. And, uh, yeah, it was all very impressive. There was more than that. There was a nice shot. Well, I don't, I'm going to talk about the director uh, at the end, so I'll come back to it later. Uh, so, anyway, the starting off with the miniatures, it was a bang, or a banger, I guess, as the kids might call it today. And then just, they kept doing great things with miniatures, and it was a marvel to behold, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, next, I want to talk about Hibiker's game. Of course, I'm talking about full spoilers. I'm not going to talk about the rest of the series, but I'm going to allude to it and hint to it. So if you haven't seen Z already, and you're uh, along for the ride for Zet because it's a dub, and that's easier than watching subs, hey, I sympathize with you. I'm there. But uh, you're going to want to maybe... Well, anyway, I'm going to keep it safe for you, unless you're hypersensitive to spoilers, then you got to get out of here for a minute. But anyway, uh, so, Hebikura's game. We've seen Hebikura playing with a Rubik's Cube. We saw him talk about in the last episode, at the very end, how he needs to find a new toy to play with. He said that while looking at uh, Beta Smash, so Zet, right? And here we have him effectively playing with Zet in multiple ways. Uh, I just want to say this real quick. Uh, yeah, this is my spoilery section. It's fine. Um, 
They've been dropping clues since episode one. I know this is only episode five, but in I believe every single episode, there has been a clue that something's going on with Hebikura. The first episode, it's that he leaves, I think, to go to the bathroom, and he ends up traveling very quickly to the site of the uh, battle where Sevenger is knocked over and uh, Yoko is checking on your boy Haruki. And uh, we see somebody in a gray uniform, like the storage uniforms, and I think we see a little bit of his long hair on the side of the screen, and I believe we see him pick up medals, but maybe he doesn't actually pick up medals. I can't remember, but regardless, he was there, he traveled there suspiciously quickly, and it was odd. In the second episode, while he's training with Haruki to help him improve his fighting technique so he can defeat uh, whatever the... Uh, no, mm -mm -mm, Naranga uh, in Sevenger, because that's the only mech they have available at the time, he seemingly vanishes on him, and... Uh, like, entirely disappears from the scene inexplicably, and then reappears from behind him and hits him, and, uh, you know, continues sparring with him and fighting with him, and then he gives him his sage advice, hinting at the fact that he is a, uh, a salty veteran? No. A senior veteran? No, that's not either. He's experienced! That's what I'm trying to say. You know it, I know it, everybody knows it. Anyway, so, he's trying to explain to him, or it's, you know, a demonstration of how he is experienced, and I think that's good and interesting. Uh, moving on from there... Uh, in the third episode, he mentions... What does he mention? Oh, boy. Oh! No, never mind. That's this episode. I can't remember what the what the clue is in the third episode, but it's there. I hinted at it. I dropped a hint of it in my uh, last review, I believe, or in my episode three review. And, in, oh, one more thing about in episode... Or in this episode, when he steals the Zet Riser, which I'll come back to the Zet Riser later, he vanishes, similarly, and the way the camera pans around... I believe it directly mirrors or parallels how the camera pa panned around when uh, Haruki got knocked over in the dojo. In fact, when I watched this originally, um, in 2020, I think, uh, when I was watching Z back in the day, I, uh, I made that observation, and I went back and I compared, and I looked at it. I'll have to see if I can find the video of it, because I think I made a video comparison of the shots, because it struck me how uh, similar they were and how interesting they were. One more thing. Uh, well, no, I'll, get, I'll talk to that about the... Uh, I'll bring that back up when I'm talking about the, <laughs> sorry, of this ringing in the vehicle with me, uh, when I talk about the director, but yeah, I'll leave it at that for now. So, I haven't really said anything about Hebeker's game, other than I'm identifying the parts that he's played in the game, I'm identifying the parts in the narrative or the story or the show that the creative team, the cast, the crew, the director, whatever the writing has put for us. It's it's given us breadcrumbs as to who Hebe, or that something is wrong with Hebe Kerr, something's different about him and uh there's actually <laughs> looking at the comments on youtube for this there's actually uh the butt grabbing thing is apparently a clue as well and if you were a watcher of uh another ultraman show which i won't name yet uh you would know it but if you want to go look in those comments I, I commented and interacted with somebody and we talked about this specifically um it's very interesting uh but anyway moving on from there uh, we don't know what Hebeker's game is. Obviously, he, he wants to be entertained. He wants to enjoy what's going on. What ties to greater powers of darkness does he have is unclear at this point, although he can command them to some extent because he, you know, used them to clone the Zet Riser, uh, which is similar, actually, to what the Space Shark guy or the parasite thing within it did in cloning the Zet Riser and, uh, I don't know, maybe some monster medals or something like that. Uh, so, because we've seen that ha Haburagi, I believe is his name, he also has uh, 
a Zet Riser or a type of a Zet Riser that he uses uh, to make his monster or to do stuff with his monster combinations. So that's interesting that there's a parallel between the two of them. And obviously, the one guy is evil, and Hebikura has been acting for humans. He's been acting to save people's lives for now. Uh, but was that just a game? And now that he's mastered being a good civilian like that and helping defend human lives, and he's mastered a Rubik's Cube, uh, what else is he going to master? Is he going to become a master of evil? I don't know. We'll have to watch and find out as the show continues. Moving on from there, uh, concerning pilots. So, while this is an Ultraman show, and while Zet ultimately saves the day and does a darn good job of it and looks really cool doing it, uh, this is a show with a Science Patrol-like team in storage, and they have pilots who weren't counting on an Ultraman to come save the day. The Galactic Allied... No, no, that's that's space. Whatever, the Earth forces that have all worked together, they're this international team that storage is part of. The Global Alliance? Something like that? Uh, they are not counting on an Ultraman being there to save the day. They need to be independent operators who can handle the mess of the kaiju on their own. And that's what Yoko wants to do. That's what Haruki wants to do. And they want to do it in their capacity as pilots of these mecha. And this is a little strange. It brings a little strange, but ultimately it's good. You know, Haruki yells out, this is my job, or that's my job to defend people, protect people. And Yoko's, you know, better than me. And she was doing it and willing to give her all. And I have to do the same thing. Great. Fabulous. I love how fiercely dedicated they are to their job, which, yeah, they get paid for it, but I think it's more than a job. It's, you know, things are both. Things are nuanced and complicated. So while it is a job, it is also a duty and a privilege and a, I don't know, calling, I guess, to put their lives on the line to protect people. And I think that's great. We get that shown to us through the inter through the interactions of Yoko and Haruki here, yeah, Yoko and Haruki here, and it's just interesting to see it all played out, because we haven't really talked much about why they joined Storage, or the tragic backstories that may or may not exist for them, you know, uh, <laughs> never mind, uh, and it's just their job, but it's not just their job, because it's saving lives in a, in a very open and plain and extreme way, and it's kind of interesting that, with their lives being on the line, that there aren't more Storage pilots available. Maybe because there was just the one mech at first, they only needed the two. Uh, I have no idea if Yuka could pilot them. I would kind of assume not, since it seems like Yoko and Haruki possess a martial arts prowess, which enables them to to do that. Uh, obviously, Captain Hibikura could do it, but he's not for some reason. So, anyway, that's all curious, interesting stuff that I could talk on and on about, but really, it's the determination, the dedication, and the, the grit and the willingness to do this difficult job with this, you know, deadly or lethal calling to it that these two pilots have that really impresses me. And uh, while I was a little surprised that they used salty language where Haruki said, you know, what the hell kind of pilot am I anyway if I can't do this or that or whatever, uh, you know, it's surprising for Ultraman to geared towards kids, but, you know, that again, maybe it's not so surprising. Um, and I don't know if that's like a liberty that they took in the translation because I don't remember what the sub said. Um... But I find that curious. But still, it shows, it demonstrates uh, the dedication, the, ter the determination, uh, the level, the, you know, the seriousness of the situation. Uh, because Haruki doesn't seem frivolous to me uh, in that way with how he speaks. So, uh, 
yeah, it, this shows that it's serious and that things are grim and dark and, and he's going to step up to handle the situation with everything he's got, just like Yoko did. And, I mean, you know, you can joke about, or I don't know, you could joke or complain if you wanted to about, you know, wokeness or, you know, strong female character or whatever, but, like, that's, I think that's silly uh, in this situation because Yoko is a strong female character. Uh, she's doing things. She's, you know, the better pilot. Um, maybe it's a little silly, the arm wrestling thing, but uh, I'm okay to indulge it but for the sake of the show. And, I, you know, I don't know her workout routine. I don't know those text workout routine either, so you never know. But anyway, and Haruki doesn't have, like, a huge build compared to her, so I think he'd only be naturally a little bit stronger than her, if that. But depending on training, that, that kind of changes things. But regardless, she pilots the mech well, which is its own thing. Um, I've heard of very impressive, or women who are very impressive marksmen, uh, you know, with regular guns, and, you know, the, the gun is the great equalizer, and I think the mecha is the even, you know, uh, the great equalizer to another degree. So that makes sense to me, and she's just utterly competent at her job. And But not only is she competent, she's, you know, courageous and willing to sacrifice herself, and she has that determination. And I, d I don't think that Haruki lacked that determination, but seeing her express it so strongly and clearly and resolutely, I think really inspired and impacted him and it caused him to do the same thing. And I find that impressive. And really, I love the heroism of both of them. Uh, it was very cool to see him rescue her in the way that he did specifically, both in that he used the environment cleverly, uh, used a jetpack on Sevenger to melt the ice, to thaw it out. And then he used that crazy jetpack contraption thing that they have you know like the man or something to go pull her out of the cockpit and uh just it was awesome it was really awesome um yeah and i, I love that i love that their i love their work relationship their friendship their like co i don't know like their their fraternity of being fellow soldiers against kaiju and stuff it's it's very cool um and like i said the the grit and the determination was very i don't know shocking and and I don't know. It, it felt like it weighed a lot thematically in the episode, which is why I think even the uh, the spear was brought to them, uh, to Zet, basically, because of the determination of both of them. And specifically, there was one instance where Haruki said something like about how they weren't going to give up, and then the spear... Uh, I don't think it came to them. I think it was during the fight with um, whatever, Lord Zapadon or whatever it's called. Zapatos. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, and this... They were able to activate it and, you know, do better at that time uh, and unlock a new level of power with the spear by, you know, making the spear arrow thing. And, uh, yeah, I think that was only due to his determination, which, again, was reinforced by Yoko. And that's just great. It's just great, you know, interactive character drama and storytelling, I think. So, anyway, moving on from there. Uh, enough concerning pilots. Let's talk about the Zet Riser versus the metal riser and this is a little bit of a complaint i called out last episode that i didn't like them uh talking about the you know ultra it's time for ultra fusion because it just plays odd and plays silly i think and again the zet riser uh it doesn't make sense that it would be called the zet riser because it wasn't designed for zet specifically he i mean it could have been the z riser i'm is z for zet for zero is that what it is? is that why it's the zet riser because zero is the one who had it but we'll see, uh, I think in the next episode, or pretty soon, that somebody else has one too. And I think for the sake of simplicity and for the sake of the 
the toyness of it and just the real world application of it, it would make more sense for it to be called a metal riser because it uses ultra metals and the dark zet riser or whatever it's called uses monster metals. So the fact that metals are the key factor in the riser suggests to me that that's what it should be called after metal riser then it would make sense it has ultra metals it has monster metals it has whatever else kind of metals you want to put in it too and i think that would be better you know you'd remove the z branding from it or maybe because that one went to z it you know magically by land of light technology customized itself to him it gets a z on there and uh if zero had one it might get a z2 but it'll look different or whatever and i don't know it just kind of seems like from a you know toy making perspective and you know trying to sell this thing and market this thing it makes sense to not have the toy aspects of it uh interrupt like it would be an equally good toy if it was called the metal riser as if it was called the zet riser the only thing is when you're looking for the zet toy in the store i guess it being called zet would work better but if it has a picture of mon it anyway then who cares and then from a you know writing perspective it detracts it doesn't detract from things to have it be called the metal riser at all in fact it, like i said or argued for it leaves it open to interpretation and i don't know extrapolation or iteration in other ways as we are going to see but you know risers other than the uh dark riser and the jet riser um so anyway that's that's just kind of a silly thing but i had to say it <laughs> and then the last thing is uh director assault this director was assaulting my senses with awesomeness uh the flying scenes of combat between pegola and zet were incredible going through the clouds the frost hitting the lens uh the going through the eye of the storm uh that was all awesome the lace like the cgi was made i couldn't even tell what was cgi and what wasn't and where it was integrated or not or whatever or what do they call it? composited right uh, anyway, I couldn't even tell most of those shots if they were CG or live action suits with uh, like a CG environment around them or what the jet stream coming off them as they're flying through the clouds too. Absolutely fabulous. Um, yeah, I didn't even know really how they landed the effect of uh, Zet tumbling through the clouds and then landing on the ground and crashing into the practical elements and having practical elements, uh, you know, uh, of debris flying up around him. I don't know how they did that, um, but that, the miniature in the beginning, the car flipping over, the shot of when he knocked over Pegula uh, in front of that like preschool or kids room, maybe kids classroom in the high rise building and uh, all the toys and stuff jump and squeak and make noise and crash around the room as uh, they're dealing with the seismic impact of Pegula falling. And that was fabulous. Um, gosh, what else? Just the fighting, uh, Yuka fighting in, in a, Sevenger was awesome like it just looked so fierce and so cool and I like the little flourish of she wanted to like scoot herself over so she almost struck the uh you know classic Ultraman uh what is it Spacium Ray or Spacium Beam pose and it the jets fired off and shot her in that direction and like it it just looked cool and it was a cool reference but it also made me think like oh so the jets on this thing are kind of motion controlled by the body has to take on certain poses or shapes or whatever and then it'll activate jets in a certain way that'll allow it to do stuff like that's such a cool idea like a high level i think it's a high level concept and like seeing the in the intricacy of that play out in a scene uh 
like in this scene in particular, it was a fairly simple, straightforward way to do it, but it still, it opens up the mind to all these possibilities of what this can do and how it can be shown. Uh, another thing, when, you know, Zet fell uh, from the sky after Pegolo knocked him down and he was in a bad way, he was laying down a certain way uh, with his head to the right of the screen. And then after Heavy Kerr was defeated, he's laying down with his head to the left of the screen. And uh, I think that's a parallel. It's talking about them kind of being equal opposites, maybe and you know rivals for this show and that was really cool and uh what else what else there were i just there were lots of great visual flourishes um i thought when he fired off the uh like when he when the when the light when that what i don't know what's called the spear when the spear uh came down from the sky you know was in the little rock and it broke out of the the calcification or whatever you want to call it the fossilization and it turned into the giant spear of light and it was glowing and Zet grabbed it and then like the light kind of transferred through his hand and went over his body like down to the ground like kind of grounding out or whatever like that was a super cool visual and then um him uh slice doing two slices in the air to form the arrow uh, or i guess the bow and then uh it like superimposing itself over the spear and then the way he cocked it back and it was like there's just so many cool visual flourishes and I'm struggling to think of more. Uh, yeah, I can't think of anything else right now. Um, but that was all super cool. Oh, and I love like the the spell or the thing that uh, Hebikura says, which it's it's juggler, right? Anyway, that he says when he's copying the uh, copying the Zet Riser, it's like a really cool thing, and it's talking about light and darkness and darkness and light and like a weird transference between them, and it feels it felt like ominous and like he's dabbling in darkness, but maybe more like a Kingdom Hearts Riku type of thing, where he can use the power of darkness or wield the power of darkness for good or evil, and that was super interesting, because I guess, you know, Ultraman's the giant of light, and M78 is the land of light, and uh, I guess if light is a force with a power, I guess then darkness should be a force with a power, which I kind of touched on talking about in the last episode, but just in more of a, a sharply defined way, and I guess if darkness can be used for good, then can light be used for evil? And are we ever going to see that in Ultraman? Or has it been done already? Because maybe it has been done. I don't know. But I think that's interesting. I think it opens up a lot of uh, interesting storytelling potential questions. And again, the reason I'm talking about story, I'm talking about this, you know, Hebikura again, and the darkness and light contrast is because the directing and the visual storytelling was so strong that just the visuals alone bring all these questions to mind. And... Um, yeah, the visuals tell the story. The dialogue tells the story, the visuals tell the story. And I'm hearing both, or I'm seeing both. Um, anyway, I'm seeing both, and it's interesting. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's all I want to say. This was really interesting, and I don't have anything else to say about the episode, other than I thought it was really good, and very... I thought it was a very good episode. It was very well directed. Uh, the storytelling was very compelling. And I'm super interested by the turn with Hebikura and where that's going. Again, even though I already know, I'm looking forward to watching it again and seeing it from a slightly different perspective watching the dub. So that's all I have to say. I encourage you to check out my uh, children's picture book manuscript linked in the show notes. It's inspired by Ultraman and it's part of a larger series of children's picture books uh, that are all inspired by Tokusatsu, and I have one more book, a sixth book, so there's five of those books, and then there's a sixth book that kind of tells a different side of those stories, 
and tells its own story as well with these magical uh, bug creatures that I have in this world that I'm developing. So I encourage you to check that out. And the draft that's up right now, it's uh, draft 1.9 of Ava and the Grow Bug. <clears throat> it's a... Uh, it's just one draft, and it's a previous draft, and it's a good uh, impression of what the story is going to be, but I'm going to go beyond that and make the story even better. That I've already made that story even better, and then everything else is going to build on top of that. So I encourage you to check that out along with everything else over on mjmonews.com, and you can link to all that through the show notes, and I also advise that you please uh, check out the audio-only podcast and that you subscribe to that. Links are in the show notes again. And if you want to increase my subscribers on YouTube and uh, you know follow my work there, you can do that as well. Um, links will be in the show notes. Again, that's, uh, that's how I like to do things. Links in the show notes. So check that out when you can. Thank you very much. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that. Go to mjmunoz.com to leave any questions, comments, or other feedback you might have. There you can find all of my analysis, art, and fiction. I cover books, tokusatsu, comic books, anime, and more. Look around. You're sure to find something else that you'll enjoy as well. This has been a Story Over Everything production.